You're listening to the Kane and Cup podcast. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I want to thank you for supporting The Blaze. Because of your phone calls and emails, The Blaze has been added by many TV providers. But we can't stop now. The big media companies like DirecTV, Comcast, and Time Warner aren't listening. They think CNN, MSNBC, and Al Jazeera America are all you need. But we humbly disagree, and we think you do too. Visit GetTheBlaze.com and let your TV provider know that you want The Blaze in your home. GetTheBlaze.com. Thanks. Will Kane, S.E. Cup, R. Kane and Cup, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to Kane and Cup. I'm S.E. Cup. And I'm Will Kane. Thanks for joining us this Saturday morning. Finally, I don't know where you're living, but where we're living, it's finally sunny out. After seven years of rain and snow. It's finally nice out. And it's finally weekend. It's finally weekend. Yeah, you've been under the weather. I have. I'm playing injured today. I've been playing injured all week. That's no excuse. There are still words you cannot say on the air. Don't blame your sickness for forgetting what those are. I got three hours to disappear. <laughs> okay. Let's just find out. All right. Coming up in this hour of Gain and Cup, I want to know how well you know your neighbors. I want to know uh, if you would know... If your neighbor died like three years earlier. I think I would. Maybe you would. I don't know if you would. I definitely wouldn't. I go out of my way to avoid my neighbors. That's coming up later. We're also going to introduce a new game on this show. It's called Game of Bros. Game of Bros. This is going to be our attempt to bring in the panel feedback (gasps) on a very chewy ethical dilemma. We brought in a, a panel of bros. Brought in a panel of bros. Yeah. For Game of Bros. It's a new thing. It's a cane and cup. Sure to be classic. <laughs> Game of Bros. That's coming up later. And I want to show you uh, the best or worst, and that's that's a slashy, best slash or worst campaign ad of the 2014 season. That's coming up in this hour. But first, I want to talk about two people who were in the news this week. Uh, Hillary Clinton dodged a shoe adeptly. Brought back memories of George W. Bush dodging those two shoes, remember? Absolutely. He did like this head thing. He was really agile. We really don't think you've made it until you dodged a shoe. Well, that's, I mean, that's legit. And I remember, she was, she was taught, Hillary Clinton was talking at, at a, <clears throat> some kind of very innocuous conference about like gas or something. And uh, like natural gas or something. And some woman came in, <laughs> natural gas. <laughs> Some woman came in and threw a shoe. And afterwards, the news reports were like, how did they let this lady in? Well, she was wearing shoes. Well, There's she- probably no b- alarm she set off. Like, hey, look, <laughs> did you notice that lady's wearing shoes? Right. Like, well, why wouldn't you let this lady in? Exactly. She's wearing shoes. Um, That is a particular specific insult in some uh, Middle, Middle Eastern, Eastern countries. countries. Yeah, it's the worst. But apparently, it's it's gone mainstream. Yeah, this woman was... Blonde. She looked American. I don't know what her her background was, but uh, I think that's a movement, a, uh, a positive movement for society, the global society. Through show, shoe throwing as a form of protest, going mainstream. I see nothing but positive from that. Now, what if it's a peep toe shoe? That would be problematic. Will has a problem with certain kinds of shoes because he's a creepy guy. Because um, <laughs> he's he's sitting on the subway looking at your shoes. Guaranteed. 
100%. So weird, man. Um, And Jeb Bush was in the news this week. Jeb Bush came out uh, to talk about immigration, as he's wont to do. And he called illegal immigration an act of love. He basically said, look, we need to stop demonizing people who come over here. Yeah, they made a mistake. Yes, they came over illegally, but it's an act of love because you either you want to be with your family or you want to make money and bring it home to your family. It's all a positive. It's a positive for Jeb Bush. Uh, that's sure to set off some alarms with the far right flank of the Republican base. He also uh, channeled Chris Christie a little this week in saying that, look, Republicans need to win. That's what needs to be our top priority going into 2014 to 2016. Enough with the ideological hand-wringing. We just need electable candidates. I don't don't totally disagree. Um, But that had a lot of people wondering if Jeb Bush was that guy. And a lot of folks in the GOP establishment are sort of eschewing the Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Chris Christie elements for someone like Jeb Bush. Reports indicate that Jeb Bush is being actively pursued by the quote-unquote Republican establishment. Yeah, the Karl Rove camp. It's not surprising. But what what this made me think about, these, these two figures this week, was the idea of dynasties. It is remarkable to me mm-hmm. that it's 2014, and it's almost as if we are living in the 90s again. We've got a potential Clinton and Bush on the ticket. I mean, that's amazing to me. And in, in some ways... In some ways, that would be great for both of them because it would inoculate the other against that criticism. You can't criticize Clinton for being a Clinton and being a been there, done that if you've got a Bush running against her. If your candidate is the third Bush on a presidential ticket, right? where do you have uh, room to stand? Right, so all of that criticism goes away if it ends up being those two, which is fine. But don't you think... My, my my feeling is um, I think the establishment wings of both parties are kind of making a mistake when it comes to Hillary and Jeb because they are ignoring what I call the frustrated flanks of both of their parties. Bill de Blasio and Elizabeth Warren have ascended for a reason. The progressive wing of the Democratic Party is frustrated with President Obama. And Hillary Goldman Sachs Clinton (laughs) is not the answer to that frustration. And on the right, Rand Paul and Ted Cruz have ascended for a reason. They are frustrated with Boehner and the moderates in in their party. They want new blood. They want something different. And Jeb W. Bush... That's not his middle name. No. I'm just making that up. In fact, Jeb is an acronym in and of itself. Yeah. Um, Jeb George W. Bush... (laughs) Is not the answer to that frustration either. So I get what the establishment is doing. Let's find the most palatable, most impressive, uh, most curvy around the edges kind of candidate that is going to be the least offensive and push that candidate forward. Let me first address this concept of dynasties. Yeah. Um, Whenever I can, and I think I proved this last night on Real News, um, I would like to... Incorporate an Alexis de Tocqueville quote when possible. Oh, you're so high and my, you are so ivory tower. I think the word you're looking for is intelligent. Um, pronounce ephemeral again? <laughs> no. 
No. Because I can't remember I, the correct pronunciation. <laughs> I just said it. I just said it. <laughs> the surface of American society is covered with a layer of democratic paint, but from time to time, one can see the old aristocratic colors break through. What was that? Aristocratic colors there break you go. through. There you go. You That's got Alexis there. Alexis de Tocqueville, and it would seem apropos when we're talking about political dynasties. However, I'm unconcerned by the appearance of political dynasties because I don't think they're largely real. I think it's a creation of easy dots to connect for us out there watching politics. Um, largely what I think is happening is not dissimilar from what you see in the sale of uh, soft drinks or, 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 or the startup of yoga studios. Brand recognition. Start a product with a brand that people recognize and you put yourself ahead of the competition. Politics largely is a game of the unknown. When you as a voter, for most voters, go to the ballot and look at the names on the list, you're looking at a bunch of guys, one, you may never have heard of, and two, you know very little about. So when you see a name you recognize, Clinton, Bush, Kennedy, mm -hmm. you tend to gravitate towards that name. So what I see is not a reflection of a political oligarchy, a family behind the scenes operating and pulling on the strings. I see market brand recognition. Now, I think the best example of this, did you ever see um, The Distinguished Gentleman with Eddie Murphy? No. It's a movie from the 1990s. He plays a uh, a down and out. I don't think he was homeless, but a down and out guy in Florida. That sounds like every mate movie he ever made in the yeah. 90s. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Uh, treading places. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in Florida, and the incumbent congressman Jeff Johnson died while having sex in his office. Okay. Eddie Murphy realizes this could be a potential opportunity because his character's name is Thomas Jefferson Johnson, <laughs> which he shortens to Jeff Johnson, and his <laughs> campaign slogan is "The name you know." <laughs> That's great. I largely think that's what's going on with the Bush and Clinton, well, quote unquote, dynasty. Yeah. And to your point, I think most people would argue that George W. Bush was much different politically than George H.W. Bush. People see a lot of distinctions between W. and Jeb. So I think you're right that the dynasty has nothing to do with ideology or um, a sense of, you know, all the Bushes think the same or all the Bushes want to shape America in the same way. I think... There are differences. and I, I, Or that they're tapped by a secret cabal secretly running the country. Because when you say the word dynasty, yeah. honestly, that is what you evoke. You evoke power existing outside of the voters' hands. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's what's happening. I will make one caveat to my own argument, and that is the concept of political apparatus, meaning the fundraising apparatus, the connections, the networks, and even beyond that, the minions that work for politicians that hit the ground and create the infrastructure of a political campaign can be handed down. Oh, for sure. And we're having and conversations about Barack Obama's apparatus being passed on to Hillary Clinton. No, and so it is. that can happen within a family, and that's the caveat to my argument. But yeah. when Arnold Schwarzenegger gets elected governor of California, it's not because he is loosely a Kennedy. It is because, hey, I know that guy. Isn't that the he Terminator? He was in Twins. <laughs> <laughs> or Twins. <laughs> no, but it can be. I think a lot of people would, would argue that Mitt Romney is fundraising was handed down to him. Um, he was anointed. He didn't make it in 2008. He was the next guy. Uh, a lot of resources and energy and money were pooled around him before he even announced and, and in fact, starved out a lot of other guys. And I think that could happen with someone like Jeb Bush. If the establishment guys, if, if Karl Rove, if they all get around him early, 
then right. he'll have the apparatus in place. Absolutely. Let's do this. Let's take a break. I want to come back to this conversation because I want to share with you. I want to confide with you that I think I have opinions about Jeb Bush that aren't necessarily popular among people that largely agree with us. Okay. Other conservatives. And I want to go over some of the most famous political dynasties in America's history. That on Kane and Cup when we come back. Will Kane and Desi Cup will continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Kane and Cup. 888-900-3393. We're talking about political dynasties. I'm Will Kane at Will Kane on Twitter. She's Essie Cup at Essie Cup. Give us a call. Tweet us. Because I think I think you're going to at least disagree with me here. Essie, there is a... I got to tell you, I'm not finding myself in the hate Jeb Bush camp. Now, that has become a very... Uh, popular line of thought among people like us. Uh, our friend Andrew Wilkow at at The Blaze uh, hosts the show Wilkow and has a Sirius XM radio show, was joking around this week that he was going to create a metric for things he liked um, or things he rather disliked. Four Jeb Bushes, five Jeb Bushes. The more <laughs> Jeb Bushes you get, the... Uh, the worse it is. The worse it is. Yikes. But I gotta, I mean, here's what I gotta confess. There is something about Jeb Bush that appeals to me, and I'm trying to rationalize it because I haven't even fully rationalized it with myself, but I'm saying, what is it? Um, Because, look, first of all, you know that education is one of my most passionate issues, and um, while I'm a little bit 50-50 split with Jeb on that, I'm not a Common Core supporter. He's a huge Common Core supporter. He's all in. But he's also, on the flip side, big on vouchers and charter schools. And right. I think school choice is the number one thing we can do to reform our education system. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I'm going to be honest. The act of love comment on immigration, to some extent, I will sympathize with what he said. I think that largely the people that illegal Im- uh, illegally immigrate to this country are looking for a better life, are looking for something to help their family. It doesn't excuse by any means the fact that they broke the law. I still think they have to abide by the law and they broke it by coming here and they have to be deported or come back through the process legally. So I disagree with Jeb Bush, but I don't think the act of love thing is as mock-worthy as most of, most of my friends. So what is my thing with Bush? And I think it's this. I, when I see Jeb Bush, I see a guy kind of who does not pander. He says what he thinks. When I see him, I feel authenticity. This is what I think. If you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, you don't like it. And that really, really appeals to me. Sure. The sense of authenticity. And the other thing is, it's this whole conversation you've introduced today, the concept of dynasties. I never think someone should be held back because of something that is unearned, whether or not that's riches or poverty. And his name is unearned. And if we punish him because his name is Bush, we're not judging the man on his merits. If you don't like his policy on immigration... That's one thing. If you don't like his support of Common Core, that's another thing. But the fact that his last name is Bush is superficial and trivial, and you need to give me something more than your gut on why you don't like him. And I think to some extent I'm being reactionary. Yeah, well, look, let me <clears throat> let me say this at the outset. I think Jeb Bush is probably a really nice guy. I think Jeb Bush is smart. I think Jeb Bush is authentic, as you say. I agree that I think he believes pretty much everything he says. I felt the same way about W love him or hate him, agree with him or not, I think he believed 
everything he said. Genuine character. If if you want to pronounce it that way, yes, genuine there character. Another way to pronounce that word. Genuine. Yeah. He's genuine character, exactly. Um and I love uh, this this is taking people back a ways, but Jeb Bush has a very um admirable record when it comes to right to life issues. Jeb Bush was instrumental in the Terry Schiavo case, standing up for life, erring on the side of caution, erring on the side of life, along with his brother in that very, I mean, that was a seminal moment for me. I was a teenager watching that and not really sure of what I thought about abortion and those issues. And to see these two guys, Jeb Bush as the governor of Florida and George Bush as the president, erring on the side of life was impactful for me. I feel a massive butt coming. So all of those things I'm giving you, I'm granting you, you're allowed to like Jeb Bush, I think, for all of those reasons. And if you're playing the odds, I think Jeb Bush is probably palatable to the middle of the country in ways that other conservative candidates might not be. The massive butt coming on is that conservatives on the ground want nothing to do with Jeb Bush. You listed a couple reasons why. Common Core is one of them. I mean, maybe a year ago it wouldn't have mattered, but Common Core is such a hot-button issue for conservatives now. That's That could be a disqualifier for some conservatives. Immigration, I don't have to tell you, is a huge hot-button issue for, for conservatives. Even though I can find ways to soften or dismiss Jeb Bush's act of love comments, the majority of this party cannot. The majority of this party hears amnesty. I know that. And that's a political reality right? that we just kind of have to live with. And the other thing I mentioned, people like Rand Paul and Ted Cruz are things because conservatives are sick of the establishment, appeasing, compromising, let me meet you in the middle kinds of Republicans. And that's who they think Jeb Bush is. Can Jeb Bush win in a general election? Absolutely. Can Jeb Bush get through a primary? I'm not so sure. Let's do this. Let's go to, uh, we've got like one minute, Mike in Kentucky. Mike, give us uh, your opinion here on this whole concept of political dynasties. All right. Well, the uh, concept that I would believe in basically is that uh, the dynasties aren't the families. It's the, uh, the parties. I mean, you've had a democratically controlled government for about 80 years, uh, and you have a situation basically where you have you know, when you have a good guy and a bad guy, Batman needs a joker, you have a Democratic Party and a Republican Party who, you know, they're extra-constitutionally deciding who's going to run for office. And basically what they're doing is they're making sure that they have their candidates in focus to keep people voting for them so that that power stays where it is so that they can continue to uh, advance an agenda, which is continually progressive. And that's what you're seeing now is the Democrats are afraid because the people are actually rising up and saying, look, we're tired of that. Right. I think you're absolutely right, Mike. I think the the, the dynasties are reflected in the existence of the, the, the parties. And your point that we've gone in a pro continuous progressive direction is not an opinion. It's a fact. We did the story on Real News last night that progressive and liberal policies have been winning for seven decades. I think I'm going to have to ask you a difficult question that you're not going to get to answer right now. Maybe we can come back to some other time, though. If we do not have a two-party system, if we do not have the Republican and Democrat, the Batman and Joker, as you said in your in your 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 uh, characterization, what do we have? 
a parliamentary system. The two-party system has done a decent job of preserving democracy for some 200 years, and parliamentary systems have done a much worse job. So the alternatives need to be considered. When we come back, it's time for Game of Bros. What? I've got a very chewy ethical dilemma, and how do you solve that but without a game of bros on Kane and Cup when we come back? This is Kane and Cup, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three at Will Kane and at Se Cup on Twitter. Se, a little earlier, I told you I would tell you about some of the most famous political dynasties in American history. Teach me, Will. Alrighty. <laughs> of course, the most popular ones are the Kennedys and the Clintons and the Bushes. But listen to these. First of all, the dailies of Chicago. Oh yeah, sure. Have been running that town yeah. for basically 43 years. Yeah, that's crazy. And not well. And not well. <laughs> they have been the mayors of that town, son and father, adding up to over 43 years. And one of the brothers was actually uh, President Obama's chief of staff for yeah, a stretch there. Right, right. Um, that's a good one. The Harrisons, of course, William Henry only lasted a few days before he got sick and had to. Who are the other Harrisons? Benjamin. Oh, I thought you were going to say George. William. <laughs> George is my favorite. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> I got my mindset on you. <laughs> oh, that's that's something. <laughs> Wait, who are the other Harrisons? Do I know? William Henry Harrison and Benjamin Harrison, his grandson. What'd he ever do? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Forgotten who presidents. Else? Who else? Of course, the Adams. Oh, yeah, the Adams brothers. <laughs> well, no, it would be father and son again. <laughs> the Rockefellers. Yeah. Nelson, presidential candidate in the 1960s and 70s for the Republican Party, and his son, I believe, Jay. is the senator. Jay. That's right, from West Virginia. But this family is the number one political dynasty and does not get any credit, okay? Wait, do I, can this? I guess it or no? You, there's no point in wasting time. You will not Really? Guess it. I okay. will give you one guess. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. You teed yourself up. One guess. One guess. Embarrass yourself. Uh, okay. Uh, the Roosevelts. Wrong, incorrect, erroneous. The answer is the Freelinghuisens of New Jersey. Who are the Freelinghuisens of New Jersey? They came over in the early 1700s. Did they change their names? The first Freelinghuisen went into office in 1779 as part of the Continental Congress. And here is the punchline. Seven generations of Freelinghuisens have been either in the New Jersey State House or in Washington, D.C., representing their state. That's amazing. Isn't it? And we don't even know. I mean, maybe if you live in New Jersey, you know. Maybe is there like a Freelinghuisen rest stop on the turnpike? I believe there are plenty of things, as New Jersey is wont to do, as New Jersey politicians are wont to do, named after the the Freelinghuisens. Right. Which, by the way, could be pronounced any numerous ways, you know, different than the way I'm pronouncing it right now. I'm sure it is. (laughs) Right. I'm sure you're not pronouncing it right. That much I know. 
All right, Dateline Seattle. Let me introduce you to a bar in Seattle named Attaball Amusements. It's a bar, an arcade, largely made up of uh, pinball machines. Now, the owner and proprietor of Attaball Amusements in Seattle sees a problem. He sees that the city has a large homeless population Hmm. and is lacking, in his words, fresh gear. What? Fresh gear. What's that? Fresh gear. What is that? I don't speak that language. What is that? Clothes. Clothes. Fresh can either mean uh, literally fresh and clean, or I think it can also, in the parlance of our times, mean cool. Oh, and bro speak. <laughs> that Like, that's fresh. <laughs> so what does Mr. Owner, I'll introduce you to his name in just one moment, um, Attaball Amusements, do when he sees a societal problem? He says, you know what? I'm going to de- uh, dedicate all of my in-store profits from any uh, merchandise like sweatshirts or t-shirts that I sell to buying new gear and giving it, fresh gear, giving it to the homeless. Oh, that's nice. The catch is everything will be emblazoned with Attaball Amusements. Sure, right. Thus turning Seattle's homeless population into walking billboards for Attaball Amusements. (laughs) Okay. Here is my question I present to you. And it seems, by the way, intuitive and unanimous to me. However... My informal poll has not turned back unanimous results. Oh, okay. What's the question? Is this exploitative or a victimless win-win situation for everyone? Is this exploitative? I just can't win. <laughs> or a victimless crime? Uh, <clears throat> for me, it's a no-brainer. This is a win-win. Um, you've got right. you've got homeless folks who probably need some fresh gear. Especially on those rainy days. Let's just um, say this. Not only homeless people need fresh gear. No, but look, I mean, you can't always go to Banana Republic and buy something new. This is great. This is great. He's he's donating in a way that makes sense for him. Uh, you know, marketing his business in the same at the same time. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, plenty of people make unseen profits off of philanthropy all the time. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. He's doing a good thing. That doesn't mean he can't reap some kind of benefit or reward from it at the same time. How many people donate their clothes to Goodwill? I do. And take the tax credit, tax deduction. Oh, well, I don't even know if I take a tax credit, but I donate I donate but my clothes of people do. to Goodwill. Absolutely. I donate my time. I mean, this is this is great. He could be making a profit on all of those t-shirts and sweatshirts. He could be selling them at, at a ball, whatever, and instead... He's giving them out to homeless people. I agree 100%. This is a victimless win-win situation, but I will admit that my barometer is not the most finely tuned on this. If you'll remember, um, a few months ago, we did a story on Real News where some of these rich ladies in New York City were circumventing the rules at Disneyland or Disney World in Florida because mm-hmm. Disney World has a express lane for disabled children. Mm-hmm. You don't have to uh, wait in the... Uh, interminable long, long lines, long yeah. line to get on, you know, Wonderland Express and whatnot. What's at Wonderland Express? Made that up. Is uh, that right? At Disney World. <laughs> so what these rich uh, New York ladies were doing were hiring disabled kids to accompany their oh. children into the disabled express lane and get on the ride sooner. The disabled children were getting paid for their efforts, oh. and I came down on the side of. Again, win-win. I don't know. Victimless. I don't know if I'm with you there, but on this one, I love. I love this idea. I think it's a great idea. Where's the Where's the controversy here? 
Well, I think the controversy comes when you get to know a little more intimately the owner of Attaball Amusements, oh, Brad boy. Johnson. This was uh, reported in a website called Vocative, and I'll just give you this one little teaser. When Brad Johnson gave permission for his picture to be accompanied with the article on Vocative, his one requirement was that they note in the picture that he is single. Oh, boy. That's a little teaser. I, okay. I think we should do this. Let's introduce Brad Johnson into the equation and ask a different question. Not, is this exploitive? Exploitative. Whatever. <laughs> or a win-win victimless situation. But is Brad Johnson a good guy or not? And you and I are not going to be the ones to answer this question. Oh, is this Game of Bros? This is Game of Bros when we come back on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Will Kane and S.E. Cup return. Attaball Amusements and the owner of Attaball Amusements, Brad Johnson, has decided that the way to help Seattle's homeless population is to outfit them with hoodies. Hoodies emblazoned with his bar's logo. S.E. and I unanimously agree. Unanimously agree. This is a win-win situation. A totally victimless cool. crime. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask a different question. What do we think of Brad Johnson? Not the idea, not the ethical dilemma, but of Brad Johnson himself that's not going to be a question for me and SC. That is going to be a question for our panel in what we were going to call Game of Bros. Oh, wow. I like it. All right. Let's introduce us to our panel. First of all, um, panelist number one, give me your first name, please. John. John, how long have you been a bro? <laughs> Oh, about 15 years. <laughs> Going on 15 years. Yeah. Going on 15 years being a bro. <laughs> Panelist. Discovery period. <laughs> <laughs> Panelist number two. Please introduce us to yourself. Tony. And Tony, how long have you been homeless? Homeless? Uh, well, you know, ever since uh, my wife got pissed off and just told me to get out. So, you know, pretty much the day after I said I do. All right. And panelist number three, please introduce us to, you, introduce us to yourself. I am also John. And John, have you ever known anyone homeless? Um, yes. Tony. Yeah. Really? <laughs> Tony. <laughs> Tony. For the record, Touché, Tony is not friend. homeless. All right. So we have John <laughs> one. My wife didn't kick me out. <laughs> we have John one, John two, and Tony. This is our panel. Fellas, I want to ask you this. I'm sorry. Bros. Yeah. I want to yeah. ask you this. You heard the story of Attaball Amusements. I've introduced you to Brad Johnson, the proprietor of this bar and the genius behind Hoodies for Hobos. I want you to vote on a scale from 1 to 10. 10 being you love Brad Johnson, 1 being you hate Brad Johnson, where he is in your mind right now. John, number one. Uh, he's about a six, I think. A six? Mm. You're kind of riding the fence there, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got mixed emotions on this guy. Okay, you got mixed emotions. Ta- you know, between creepy and like ridicule-worthy is kind of where I am. Okay. So there's nothing, he's, he hasn't done anything good? He's, he's done a little good, but I'm also, I might have to recuse myself a little bit because there are probably hundreds of people wearing monogrammed JGD uh, dress shirts around the Washington, D.C. area. 
from many donated monogram shirts to Goodwill. Oh, those of yours? Would be, those yeah. would be your initials. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm not sure I'm all that different from this guy because I've been marketing myself for years with, with monogram <laughs> donated dress shirts. population in D.C. Okay. That's good to know. <laughs> Tony, what is your initial vote on Brad Johnson? Well, as a bro and a homeless bro... <laughs> I happen to find him very fascinating, so I would give him a high H. Whoa, okay. an it's A. High praise. You like Brad Johnson. High praise from another bro. That's yes. Right. All right, and John, number two, what is your initial vote on Brad Johnson? I'm not sure, because your tease in the last segment made me think that he was kind of a creep, so I'm going to say five. Starting you can't riding the fence. What is this guy? I mean, you guys can't take a stand. I need more info. You see, at least I came right out, and I'm definitive. I like that about you, Tony. Yes. We're gonna we're gonna give you more info, Tony. You're a true bro. Yes. Well, you know, I, I have nothing else to do. Except Unafraid to, to take the walls a stand in the, in the alleys because I'm homeless. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here we here's what we're gonna do. I'm going to add some evidence to this. I'm going to give you some quotes from Brad Johnson, and then we're gonna revote. Okay. Feel free to share your thoughts on any of these quotes. Quote number one: I will post a pic of every new bum we spruce up. Is that the end of the quote? That's the end of that one. <laughs> okay. Has your, bros, has your opinion changed? Oh, John number two is naughty. I love his use of the word bum. <laughs> oh, so this is, this, his, he's going up in your opinion. Yes. I All think right. he's, he's, you know, he's a rever an irreverent guy, so and he's kind bum, of funny. <laughs> and as a bum, I do need some sprucing up, so right there. He's, some fresh Wow, beers. so two bros actually like that yeah. quote. Well, then let me give you a, a, a second quote, a second piece of evidence. I kick it with bums all the time. My whole thing is they just want to get drunk and high like the rest of us, but sometimes they smell funky and downright nasty. <laughs> oh, my God. He's just one of the guys. He just wants to hang out with the bums, the common people, and he just wants to get wasted. I mean, who, who, who in life doesn't want to Now, be like honest, that? Tony, that didn't move you a little bit off of your eight? No, not at all. <laughs> this I, is I, amazing. I, I like my bros a little, more, a little more creative, though. I think instead of bum, maybe like urban camper... Or, we don't or, need to or be something like, correct like, here. Like, I mean, bum is just common, and, and you know, I don't think that's very bro of him. Right. It's cliched, right? Right. Yeah. Come up with something a little less offensive, a little cooler. All right. Let me introduce you to quote number three. Now, after Brad Johnson got a little pushback from the Seattle community, um, suggesting his language in using words like we're discussing uh, yeah. bum is inappropriate, he yeah. said this. There's some wet blanket saying I didn't use the proper verbiage. I mean, I call my cat the N-word. When no one's around all the time. What? Oh my God. There is Brad Johnson for you. Wow. I'm getting open mouth agape stare back from the other room right now. He, he's much less of a bro, more of just a, a, an idiot. I don't. A tool? Don't, is yeah, he a tool? Not, he's a total tool and, and yeah. ridicule worthy, and uh, I wouldn't hang with him for a second. He's terrible. Hmm. Tony, have you moved off your eight? Uh, I, I'm still trying to decipher what he even said there. Could you repeat it to me? <laughs> it's, I feel like I'm walking into a trap. Yeah, this is not good for you, Will. Um, he said, I didn't use the proper verbiage. What's the deal? I mean, I call my cat the N-word when no one is around all the time. I don't have does a problem it, with that quote. Doesn't make it better. I'd, I'd like to point out that he actually has a cat. <laughs> uh, and Which I think, is not bro. I, I think that's the point we're glancing over in this statement is that he has a cat, so he's all immediately right. not a bro. Final piece of evidence. This is his final quote and my personal favorite. When discussing why he's capable of helping out the city's homeless, he says, look, I've done well for myself. I've got a Rolex and a Miata. <laughs> Hold on. He's got a Rolex and, and a Miata. Miata. He's got a Rolex. All right. He is not a bro. He is off the list. Wow. Why are you Makes overlooking the Miata, Tony? I don't <laughs> understand this. He's got this. a Rolex. 
Screw him. All right. But besides Adele Soul, a Miata is probably the least bro car in existence. He, he's, he's off. He's, he's off. A Miata. Let's get a final quick vote revo. count. Quick revo, starting with John number two. You started out I'm, at a I'm five. Gonna, you are now at a... I'm going to give him a seven. Wow. open your book. He's better than <laughs> The Miata did it for you. All right, Tony, you John number two you is a simple out, guy. You started out as an eight, Tony. Where are you now? Yeah, I'm at a one. He, he's, mm. he's got a Rolex. He's got a Miata. He's not one of the people. Massive slide. Yeah. Crushed by John Tony. John number one? He's yeah. Done. He's on my books, too. He's a wand, and mostly because of the cat-Miata combo. And if he walks that cat on a leash to his Miata, then he is the worst person in the world. Bros for life. Can I I make one point? Game of bros. He reminds me of the characters from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm. And those characters, in my opinion, are bros. And this guy sounds John like number he watched two, the show. you don't have to defend your vote. I'm telling you, I <laughs> your think this brohood is still intact. Can I just point out that in Game of Bros, our Game of Bros, Essie ended with a high five in the other room between <laughs> John number one and Tony. That's a win. When we come back, equal pay for women. What else would we talk about on Kane and Cup? Bros. You're listening to Kane and Cobb. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Will Kane, S.E. Cobb, R. Kane and Cobb. Kane and Cobb. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Hi, Missy Cup. That over there is Will Kane. Uh, What do you do after a successful Game of Bros segment? You bring them back to debate equal pay for women. No, we're not going to do that. That's a terrible idea. (laughs) But we are going to talk about equal pay because this was a big week. Big week for Democrats. Now, if you've had eyeballs over the past, I don't know, decade, you've known this is nothing new. Democrats, every election cycle, bring up some issue that... Targets women, but but it's purely meant to make Republicans look mean. In 2008, they brought up the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, which, by the way, did nothing to solve pay inequity. All it did was lengthen the statute of limitations on how long you have to sue your employer for pay discrimination, which, by the way, has been illegal since 1963. <laughs> in uh, 2012, it was the Violence Against Women Act. Violence Against Women is illegal in all 50 states, punishable by law. Yet... We needed to direct a billion dollars in federal money toward protecting something that's already illegal for the sole purpose of making Republicans oppose it publicly. Now, uh, Republicans always have a a hard time with this because it sounds really great. How could you be against um, fairness in pay? How could you be for violence against women? And of course, no Republican is for violence against women. Of course, no Republican is against fair pay for equal work. It's ingenious. You mean you're for violence against women? Yes. That's what clearly that is exactly the argument the Democrats try to make. And I think finally they've gone too far. This week, President Obama introduced the Paycheck Fairness Act. That is a misnomer. Uh, There's nothing good about this bill. And he also uh, implemented two executive orders meant to resolve uh, pay opacity, um, increased transparency in pay. 
Do you see this as the political equivalent, SE, of reissuing essentially, I don't know, the Emancipation Proclamation or revoting on the 1964 Civil Rights Act? Like, let's. Yes. The problem is it's redundant, to your point. We it is have completely, these laws in place. They're on the books. And should Republicans point that fact out, then you're for slavery. No, God then forbid. Then you are for violence against women. Absolutely. God forbid. I mean, God forbid you suggest that since the Violence Against Women Act has been enacted in 1994, the results have been negligible. God forbid you point that out. You are for violence against women. God forbid you point out that the Violence Against Women Act also included protections for men. You can't point that out. You're for violence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's tricky. Republicans are wondering what they can do, especially Republicans running for office. I don't what know. What they can do to combat this. Listen, if you at home have answers, suggestions, 888-900-3393, we'd love to hear them. I don't... I have no problem talking about this. I wrote a column about this in the Daily News this week. I talked about the ridiculousness of this, and I was pleasantly surprised to be joined by Ruth Marcus at the Washington Post. She is not a conservative. No, she's not. And let me just read you a couple of things that she wrote about this new Democratic meme, the latest in a long line of Democratic narratives. She writes, The level of hyperbole, actually demagoguery, the Democrats have engaged in here is revolting. She writes, there's a difference between opposing the Paycheck Fairness Act and opposing paycheck fairness. Fairness. Politicians who choose to confuse the two may score a cheap political point, but it's not a fair one. This is a woman, Ruth Marcus, who supports the Paycheck Fairness Act. Right. This is, I, I, would, I would call her a Democrat. But she, even she understands and sees the level of chicanery manipulation there's no need to ro- run blue i'll explain what chicanery means to you later okay thanks um so a, a woman named terry lynn land she's the former secretary of state in michigan she's a republican she is the likely republican nominee for senate in michigan uh cud lover came under fire this week for something that she had said implying that women are actually more interested in flexibility in a job than in pay. And that has been some of the critique in the Paycheck Fairness Act, because actually it limits the flexibility of both the employer and the employee. Uh, The regulations are so strict in how you can pay an employee that it eliminates the flexibility in paying for better work product, more experience, you stay longer hours. So it, it really hamstrings everyone on the job. Well, she got into trouble because you can't be a Republican and have a problem with the Paycheck Fairness Act. I want to bring her on to talk about this. Um, Terry Lindland, thanks for joining us. Tell me what you meant by these by these statements and why you think they were they were taken so um, so so out of context. Well, first of all, it's great to be on your show and thank you so much for having me on. You know, I support equal pay for equal work and I've always done that as former Secretary of State and also a local county clerk. And one of the things that I did as an employer um, was help women in the workplace. I mean, I fought hard to make sure that we had a level playing field for the women that uh, worked in my office. And uh, we developed programs so that the employees could actually have more control over their time off. Uh, We fought for flex time for our employees. I actually even developed a program for women to learn how to lead in the workplace so that they can move on to be managers. Uh, 
a lot of women did not want to uh, go down the management road. And I said, no, you can do it. I encouraged them. And I said, let's have a lead worker program, which we started, uh, so that you could learn the skills that you needed to be a manager. And here's the thing. Once we did that, by the time I left, actually it ended up that I had more women managers. And by the time I left, all my managers were women because they had the skills. They had the ability to have the flex time so they could work when it worked for them. And and by doing that, uh, they became managers. And that's what it's all about, getting a good-paying job so you can feed your family and, and have a good life and uh, and move up in the workplace. Well, that all sounds really great, Terry, but you're a Republican, so clearly you don't care about pay fairness for women. <laughs> I mean, well, that is, that's the bottom line that Democrats... Just listen to what uh, your colleague in Michigan, Senator Debbie Stabenow, said. She said it's outrageous that in 2014, some in Congress apparently still think that women don't deserve to earn the same amount as a man for doing the same job. Now, you know, you know how inaccurate and unfair and irresponsible that is. You know it. I know it. Doesn't that make your blood boil? Well, what's outrageous is, is that my opponent, Congressman Peters, he actually pays his female staffers 67 cents on the dollar as compared to his male staffers. <laughs> oh, God. So by using their own math, yeah. that's what he pays. And it's wonky math. I mean, this this thing that, you know, President Obama and the Democrats like to trot out the 77 cents on a dollar is not good math. It's not right math. It's not comparing the same job position. You're making a mistake. You're making a mistake here, Essie. I want to make the same mistake, actually. You're indulging in the policy. You're indulging in the reasons for the disparity. Why the 77 cents to the dollar? And some of it is what Terry has pointed out. And I would love to ask you that, Terry. From a political standpoint, it seems you've made a mistake by justifying to some degree the difference. I'm not saying you're wrong. Policy-wise, you're wrong. In fact, by pointing out that many women want flexibility over higher pay, you know, there are many reasons for the disparity in pay, but the only one Democrats want to point to is discrimination. Now, I'm not saying discrimination doesn't exist, but whether or not it's desire for flexible work pay, less desire to negotiate at a hard stance at the negotiating table for higher pay, um, there are many reasons why that disparity might exist, but all you get reduced to is someone in favor of discrimination. And I think by indulging in the policy debate, you never win. I don't know how you win this debate. Well, you know, the reality is the things that we did as county clerk and secretary of state, and I brought both of these programs to both offices, is it actually helped the mail workers, too. They mm. could actually have choices, um, and some of them did take those choices to have flexibility with their with their work. And, uh, you know, in this day and age, so many uh, families have both parents working, and, and sometimes you need to make choices uh, between who's going to, uh, you know, be there for the kids, uh, for their games, or for their a dentist appointment, and it gave flexibility to both men and women. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what it's all about, being able to have a good paying job, flexibility in your job, and support your family. Well, and Terry, you're in a great and unique position in that you have real-world experience implementing those programs in Kent County. And so when you're on the campaign trail, you can actually you can actually talk about what you've done that has worked. I fear for Republican candidates who don't have that luxury. They 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 don't have that experience. Maybe they're first-time candidates and they're not prepared for the democratic onslaught that they are going to get on any number of these issues. I mean, I still hear Democrats resurrecting Lily Ledbetter and violence against women that have already been passed just to try to catch a Republican saying something bad. I mean, you're you're lucky. You can talk facts. I don't think 
all Republican candidates can. What's your advice to someone running right now? Well, I think what you need to talk about is businesses. So many women are have small businesses. Men do, too. And, um, you know, we need to encourage that. And we need to talk about how we can get people to be entrepreneurs. Uh, we also need to talk about how we can get good-paying jobs. And that's what it's all about. Uh, you know, they're not talking about, you know, the fact that our economy um, is not creating good-paying jobs. They're not talking about the Affordable Care Act, which is hurting businesses. I mean, all of those issues are what people care about. Um, they want to have great health care. Uh, they want to have a good paying job. I mean, those are very important things. And you can talk to business owners and they can tell you um, exactly what's going on out there and how it's affecting them and how they're not being able to hire and not being able to grow their businesses. Well, Terry Lindland, former secretary of state in Michigan and Republican nominee, likely Republican nominee for Senate in Michigan. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your perspective and keep up the good work out on the campaign trail. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great one. I see it is a... Um, Morally indefensible, empty, symbolic, divisive effort that is ultimately incredibly politically useful. Oh, and it works. That's why they keep doing it. Never mind that Obama's policies for the past six years have been bad for women on nearly every economic spectrum. Never mind that. Don't pay attention to the guy behind the curtain. Republicans hate women. That's all you're supposed to know. It's disgusting. It really is. And I want to I want to publicly congratulate and thank Ruth Marcus for being intellectually honest on this issue. A little bit earlier this week, I sat down with country music legend Charlie Daniels. I asked him, what do you think about the song Devil Went Down to Georgia? Do you like that song or do you hate that song? I love that song. We'll talk about that when we get back on Kane and Cup. You're listening to... Kane and Cobb on the Blaze Radio Network. Kane and Cup. Nine three. At Will Kane, at SE Cup on Twitter. Hashtag Kane and Cup. Join the conversation. Hang out with us. Tell us what you think. Tell us how much you love Game of Bros. Honestly. Tell us That's what you think about back. equal pay for women. <clears throat> Game of Bros is coming back. Oh, I think so. I've already decided. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> you know, SE, I am fascinated by failure. I love failure. Okay. Um, Sarah Blake. Don't rub that off on me. <laughs> I asked you this during the break. What's the name of the founder of Spanx? Which you Sarah found Blakely. Out? Sarah Blakely. I read Sarah Blakely, who has made hundreds of millions of dollars, I believe, on Spanx. Um, Do people said, know what Spanx are? Because you're acting like everyone knows, and maybe they don't. Please explain Spanx. Spanx are uh, sort of control wear uh, for women, uh, hose, uh, tights, uh, undergarments. Modern day girdles. That suck you in. They actually have man Spanx oh. now. Uh, they're lifesavers. I mean, everyone I know, especially in this business, loves, loves them some Spanx. Well, Sarah Blakely said that when she was growing up, her father, every day when he came home from work, would turn to Sarah and her sisters and say, tell me what you failed at today. Oh. And they had to have an answer. That's harsh. I love it. That's harsh. It destigmatizes failure because the willingness oh. to fail, the risk tolerance is the key to success. You must be able to fail repetitively in order to achieve success. Otherwise, I'm going to be honest, you're just lucky. Okay. Now, I found something fascinating. As interested I am in failure, what about success? 
What about when success becomes something you loathe? In other words, what if you hate the thing that made you? I was at the House of Blues in Los Angeles one time listening to Waylon Jennings, and the crowd mm. was chanting, Lukenbach, Texas, Lukenbach, Texas, Lukenbach, Texas, mm-hmm. which I love, a yeah. song that I love. And Waylon walked over to whatever brown water he was drinking. It was sitting on a <laughs> stool, took a big sip, came back over to the microphone and said, I'm going to tell y'all a secret. I hate that effing song. Oh, wow. I mean, the crowd just <sighs> deflated. Yeah, that's not what you want to hear. But I guess maybe from playing it every night or maybe just not liking the song and everybody else loving it, mm-hmm. he was held back by it. So another song I thought about was Devil Went Down to Georgia. And I interviewed this week Charlie Daniels for The Blaze. The video is on YouTube, on The Blaze's YouTube channel. And it's what I want to know from Charlie because Devil Went Down to Georgia is on every jukebox across this nation. Sure. It was a crossover hit. Country. Oh, yeah. On the Urban Cowboy soundtrack. Everybody knows the words to that song. Mm -hmm. He has to play it every night. Yeah, probably. Does he hate that song? Hmm. So I asked him, and this is what he had to say. If you were to go to Sydney, Australia, and walk talk to somebody and said, you know Charlie Daniels? And they'd say, yeah, he's the guy that had Devil Went Down to Georgia. And uh, when you know anything else of his, maybe they made long, no longer a country boy for a band, or maybe that's all they've ever heard. But that's okay. It don't bother me. I mean, as long as they know something, that's good. But that, it, that song is a song that we have to play every night. Mm. People would feel cheated if we didn't. And I'd feel like I cheated if I didn't play it for them. Well, that's a nice attitude to have. There it is. He likes it. Yeah. Not the same as Waylon Jennings. Mm-hmm. He understands. That was his moneymaker. That was his success story. Well, yeah, if you ever watch any of those um, one-hit wonder shows, you know, like on MTV or VH1, they do those decade, like, one-hit wonders shows. One-hit wonders from the 70s or 80s or 90s. And usually you'll find sort of one of two answers. I hate that song. Mm -hmm. And literally people, like, pulling their hair out. Like, we don't play it anymore. We will not play that song anymore. Well, it's not, right. Or the other guy. Hey, that made me famous. That made me a ton of money. We love that song. We're grateful for that song. We're happy to play that song. Charlie Daniels is appreciative of it. But what I want to point out, it's not just one-hit wonders. It's people who have otherwise very successful careers but have a signature song. Like Waylon. Almost overshadow everything else. Yeah, Waylon Jennings is successful. Massively successful. Lots of songs. Definitely not a one-hit wonder, but certainly a defining defining song. It's like Freebird. Well, so I made a list of other artists that hate their signature song. Oh, wow. Okay. You want to share a few with you? Yeah, great. Did you know that the Beastie Boys hate You Gotta Fight for Your Right to Party? I don't blame them. It's not their best song. (laughs) It's not their best song. It's not No Sleep Till Brooklyn. (laughs) R.E.M. hates Shiny Happy People, which I do not begrudge them that. No, it's a terrible song. That's a terrible song. And they're a talented band. Radiohead (gasps) hates Creep. No, that makes me sad because that's a genius song. Agreed. Genius. Get this one. Led Zeppelin hates Stairway to Heaven. Can I mean, that's a great song, but can you blame them? Every idiot learning how to play guitar plays that song, butchers that song. Right? <gasps> Warrant hates Cherry Pie. Oasis hates Wonderwall. What's the world coming to? Well, those are two terrible bands. Terrible bands. And here's the coup de grace. <laughs> Okay. Guns N' Roses hates, hates Sweet Child of Mine. Well, that's looking a gift horse in the mouth. Exactly. (laughs) Because um, without that song, Guns N' Roses would not be who they are. I have a feeling Axl Rose is not a good guy anyway. But, uh, I mean, look, if you, let's let's put this to our career, right? Okay. Uh, Let's make this about us. 
Because there's there's the same kind of fear in this business, right? It's very easy to get uh, attention in this business. You say something crazy, suddenly you're a headline. You do something crazy, you get some attention. Maybe you get a TV show or a radio show. That's kind of how this business can work. Um, and that becomes all you are. And then that becomes all you are. And I'll share a personal <laughs> story. I've got a friend in this business. Uh, I will not name this person. But he's a conservative talker, writer. A fair mul- <laughs> Okay. Now we're back to Will's failed pronunciation. <laughs> no, please. Tell us about your friend. It's not me you're talking about. Uh, no, I've got a friend in this business who uh, is a talker like us, a conservative pundit, and I won't name him. He's gay, does not want to be openly gay, not because he's ashamed of it, but because he doesn't want to be known as the gay conservative for the rest of his career. Now, I imagine he'll come out at some point, because like I said, he's not he's not embarrassed by it, but he's got so much else to talk about, he doesn't want that to be Who is it? The thing I'm not gonna tell you. The thing he is known for. Who is it? You know, I'll let him come out when he's ready. He's someone y'all know. But uh anyway, I think it's fascinating and hopefully Canaan Cup becomes something that defines us. You can find the whole Charlie Daniels interview on YouTube, The Blaze's YouTube channel. He talks about what he thinks about Obama, about Jimmy Carter. Oh, that's What cool. it takes to make it in the music industry. But when we come back, here's a question. What races are most willing to date outside of their race? Oh. On Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on The Blaze Radio Network. Cop on the Blaze Radio Network. 86% of us suggest we are attracted to someone who compliments rather than resembles us. What does that mean? It suggests we don't need somebody who looks like us, who is of similar height or personality or race. We just want somebody that compliments us. It's a variation of opposites of tract. I like compliments. The problem is... But what does that mean? Like, wh- I don't... What, what, what's someone that compliments me? Someone whose strengths bolster your weaknesses. Oh, okay. Someone where... I have none, but okay. Okay, there we go. There we go. Okay, got it. Um, I just... I'm gonna, I'm gonna let that one go. Good. I'm just thinking. Smart. Sorry. The train <laughs> is... I'm just, Science. My list making is listing your faults. <laughs> That is false. 86% of you do not want someone who compliments you. You'd rather someone that resembles you. That's from Nate Silver's 538 this week, who did some analysis based on eHarmony data, the online dating website, Mm. eHarmony, which analyzed what kind of people you messaged, what kind of people you reached out to to see if, hmm, kind of interested in you. You look like somebody I might want to take out. Mm -hmm. And what they found is that is not true. You want someone who is of similar height, intelligence, personality. You don't want somebody who compliments you. You want to date yourself. Just creepy. The female or male version of yourself. Okay. 
But what I found most interesting in this article, Essie, was when it broke it down. Why into, were you on eHarmony? I was on 538, Nate Silver's website. Just 538. Sure. Okay. Which wrote about this. <laughs> sweetheart, I was not on eHarmony. Sweetheart, I was not on eHarmony. Oh, and to be clear, I'm not Sweetheart. Your wife is, who's listening. Right. Okay. <laughs> Just taking you out of trouble. <laughs> okay, continue. Um, I found it fascinating. Which races were most willing to send messages on eHarmony to people who were of another race than themselves? In other words, what race is most willing to engage in interracial dating? And which races are least likely to engage in interracial dating? Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to quiz USC. Oh. And the way this works is it's broken down into men and women because men in some categories are more or less willing and women in some categories are more or less willing. So okay. I will give you the categories because they're actually not naturally intuitive, I think. Uh, and you can tell me which ones you think are most or least willing to date outside their race. Now, first of all. Which categories of people are more like inclusive and which are more... Uh, exclusive. Exploratory. Yeah. Okay. Um, first of all, in the category of men, here are your races. Korean, Chinese, Hispanic and Latino are together. Asian Pacific Islander is one category. White, Indian, Japanese, and African American. Wow. I think okay. the point you need to take away here is that Asian is not yeah. a category. There are subsets. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. And everything else is pretty broadly generalized. <laughs> um, Thanks, okay. Which race of in the male category is least likely to date outside their race? Uh, I'll go Indian. Incorrect. Japanese. Indians, incorrect. Oh. On both of your quick fire answers, which, which, what we're is among the most likely to date outside their race. Wow, okay. Well, who's who's least likely? All right. You're throwing up the white flag. Yeah. Number one. I don't know. Least I, I don't likely know. men to date outside their race, and this is by a long shot, Korean men. Okay, so Koreans like to date Korean, Korean men like to date Korean women. Correct. Okay. Now, which race of men is most likely to date outside their race? Uh, uh, white? No, but white is about in, mid, in the middle of the pack. Pretty willing. African-American. Yes. Okay. African-American men most likely to date outside their race. Okay. Now let's move over to women. I will give you a hint on this one, first of all. Okay. The second least likely to date outside their race is Korean women. So similar to Korean men, okay. they want to date other Koreans, but they are only outpaced by one other group who is very unlikely to date outside of her race. I'll say Indian. Incorrect. Okay. Indian women are also willing to date outside their race. I, I don't know. I have no concept of this. I don't know. I also feel you walking on eggshells the entire time. I'm really not. <laughs> I have. I don't have a concept of this kind of the, the racial barriers between the sexes. I don't. I don't know. The least likely race among women to date outside their race is African American women. Oh, okay. And I found that fascinating. Yeah. Way more than Korean women who ranked. Um, actually, Korean women came in third because white women were also very unwilling to date outside of their race. So whereas white men oh. were willing, white women were not willing. So once again, this is now for the second time this week, someone's calling me racist. That's that's essentially what you're calling me as a white woman. You're calling me a racist because as a... Ooh, that's an interesting question. As, as, a, as, a, as a race and a gender, I am not willing to date outside my race. That's what you're suggesting. I like that question. We actually didn't plan this, um, this part of the question. Is it racist not to 
to desire to date outside of your race? In other words, is it racist to only want to date someone of a similar race to you? Well, I mean, people have done studies on this, and biologically they've shown that what you would call racism today in our culture, biologically you'd call selectivity. Um, and as as animals that developed, you developed ways to distinguish between yourself and things that look different as a defense mechanism. That's that's not racism. That's science. Right. It's a question of how much you overcome your instinct or your behavioral heritage. But look, while I appreciate your feedback, uh-huh. I want to ask a black guy. I think we should. Let's ask a black guy. That's what we're going to call this. Then. Yeah. Ask a black guy. I regularly have questions about this. Someone someone this week told me that um because I grew up white, I had no control over that. Because I grew up white, I can't I I have I should have no opinion on uh black issues. All right then. So let's, well, let's ask in, a black guy. Yeah, let's bring our friend, the host of News One Now on TV One, their morning show on TV One, Roland Martin. What's happening, Will and Effie? Now, Roland, you know, you and I have talked about this for a long time. We've wanted to have yep. Ask a Black Guy, Ask a White Guy for a long time. Yep, Effie, we did this in the makeup room at CNN, and it was utterly hilarious. I mean, folks were, they were like, wow, this is great. And then Will and I said, of course, this will never make CNN, never make TV, because it's way too controversial. But reality is, we do actually have these sort of, questions among people who are friends who are opposite races we just don't call it at the black guy at the white guy well yeah roland i mean like i said i've been told i was told this week i can't have an opinion on issues of race and so that's that's stupid that's stupid well of course it is but uh, so i'm left to ask a black guy i've got to ask a black so roland am i racist because apparently white girls don't date outside their race well that's not the right way to ask the question the question is are you racist if you don't want to date someone outside of your race. Well, I'm married. I don't want to date anyone. I mean... Yeah, but, but, I, but even, look, I'm married, too. Will's married, too. But I think when you begin to examine uh, your dating history... and Like, I think... Here's one of the things that I... Whenever I give speeches and I'm talking about this, this whole issue of uh, how we self-segregate and how we sort of... When you look at who we eat with, who we hang out with, you know, work, school, or what I call... Uh, involuntary situations. You really don't control uh, who comes into the workspace somebody else does. But then you, when you begin to examine our voluntary decisions, that is, who do we go lunch with or dinner with? Who do we invite to our home? Who do we go mm-hmm. out with on a regular basis? Then all of a sudden that gives you a better idea of sort of uh, your background. Uh, Reverend Jim Wallace loves to, he said when he visits people's homes, he digs, he looks at their art, he art looks at their DVD, look, looks at their books to see sort of the inclus- inclusiveness as well. Thing when it comes to dating that my, my, my deal is it's also a question of preference. And so if I'm in voluntary situations, and so for me, I grew up in a black neighborhood, went to all black schools. I mean, you had some uh, white Asians and others, depending upon the magnet school I went to and Hispanics. Um, but my high school was 98% black, Jack Yates High School, but then we had some other folks as well. So think about it. So if I grew up in that environment for, uh, you know, really from the moment I was born until I was 18, what I see often is going to define for me what I like so for me i've always dated black women so i you look have, at black women as a standard of beauty because that's what i was but, so roland around. you haven't dated anything but black women never date a white woman never dated a nope. latina woman nope 
Is that racist? Yeah, is that racist? No. Well, Roland says it's not racist, so, so it's is not. It, so is it not racist then if, and Essie didn't say this, we're using the statistics from eHarmony and 538, no, if a I white woman I said, I, I only I want to date white men, is that racist? No, because here's the deal. When you ask, here's the deal. When somebody throws that out, then people go, oh my God, you're racist. No, but then, but the thing is, my deal is, what's the next question? The next question, then, and this is the thing I think no people don't like to own Why? up to. It, That's it the next question, into, right? Why? It, go, it goes into, it, the next question always is, why is that? Then it goes into culture. It goes into likes and dislikes. You know, I, I always use this example. So, Essie, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, if we see a bunch of bad kids, and I said, man, those are Bebe's kids. Do you know what in the hell I'm talking about? No. No. <laughs> okay. Comedian Robin Harris, African-American comedian, he had this hilarious get in his comedy uh, 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 set that was a movie called Baby's Kids. Am I racist because I don't know that? Am I racist because I don't know that? No, no, no. No, but you could ask him, you could ask Roland a Seinfeld quote right now and he's going to fail. You could give him a Seinfeld quiz and he's going to fail. I mean, look, I think you have one black person on Cheers in the background. Here's the deal that people, and people, they go, man, you're discussing race. Go to the Nielsen website and to, to Will's point there. Mm. And if you look at what are the television shows in white households, black households, Latino households, yeah. the top 10 television shows in Hispanic slash Latino households are all Univision. Nothing right. don't lie. Right. When you look at what the whites look at compared to what the blacks look at, they are different. I tell people all the time, it doesn't mean, I mean oh my God, these folks are racist. It's like, no, it's a difference of uh, culture. You absolutely, Roland, absolutely. But, but Roland, when I hear stuff like this, right, it, it 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 almost puts you on edge immediately. And the impulse is to say, in my case, the, my impulse is to say, "Well, I've dated a black guy." Really? Is that I have? Oh, is that is is that is that really where I thought I, I was should... asking you really like that's your impulse to say that like no I'm to, asking to inoculate that... yourself in some way or something. But isn't that everyone's impulse when they're up against the wall and we get to these kind of. Uh, sc- kind of scary questions that you know maybe someone's going to be judging you. Your impulse is to say, "I've got black friends." Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. Why? Because we've always had these fake, weak ass, sorry, scared, oh my god, discussions on race, right? As opposed to, and we've always had that. And and I say it on both sides. I say it to black folks, you can't automatically jump up and get hot at somebody because they say something like, "Shut the hell up." Let the little person make their point and have a rational conversation. So when you ask the question in terms of, because here's the deal. I always see people always go, it's about what's on the inside and the outside. That's BS. Yeah. Typically when we see somebody, there's some type of physical connection. Yeah. We got we to gotta run in one minute, Roland. I do want to ask you this. Are you surprised by any of this? Are you surprised that, that black women are the least likely to oh, date? No. no, I'm not surprised really? at all. Because I think, no, no, I'm not at all. Because, yeah. uh, because here's the deal. When you look at how black women view how society has judged them. You look at messaging, you look at media. Black women uh, will say uh, mainstream media has never seen black women as beautiful. Uh, and so and so for black men, let me tell you something, check out the, the, the uh, DVD uh, Dark Girls, Bill Duke. That would be an awesome conversation how even dark-skinned black women have this, have this huge, huge battle in terms right. of how they're viewed. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of black men who also have self-hating views about black women so it's no surprise when i heard that stat as well right this, we gotta, we, this is a conversation that we've had in black america that yeah. is really deep 
that goes to all skin. So that's why black women have a visceral reaction when they yeah. see a, a, quote, successful black man with a white woman because they go, oh, see, you get successful, and then you go to the other we side. Got, we got to leave it there, buddy. Hey, next time so you can ask. So good to have a black guy yeah, on to ask yeah. these questions to. And next time you can ask a white guy what you want to ask him, all right, man? Oh, we yeah, love you, Roland. You are very white. I'm, we love you, Roland. Not white as you think, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Y'all have fun with it. And that's me. Don't be afraid to have it because you know what? People have to have this discussion. I think so, too. Shut up. Stop being scared. Love it. Thanks, buddy. No problem. Take care. All right. Coming up, I I want to play the best slash worst campaign ad of the 2014 season. I want you to be the judge because I have not made up my mind. Best, worst. And that's the best part. When you find something, you don't know if it's awesome or awful. And I want people to weigh in 888-900-3393. Kane and Cup when we get back. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Kane and Cup. On the Blaze Radio Network. Okay, real quick. I, I'd be remiss if we didn't take this opportunity to play this awesome slash awful political ad. I want to know, is it the worst ad you've ever heard or the best ad you've ever heard? Play it. Hi, I'm Bob. I am running. Running for Iowa's open seat in the U.S. Senate. Term limits for Congress need to become the 28th Amendment to our U.S. Constitution. I believe in every aspect of our Constitution, which even a baby knows includes the Second Amendment. If you are the sexual predator and sociopath who murdered my sister Lynette, and you come to my front door to do harm to my girls, I'm going to use my Glock to blow your balls off. What? <laughs> <laughs> I got an answer for you. What's your? Well, you're a bro. I know your answer. Am I a bro? Yeah. Uh, great. <laughs> Two thumbs up. Absolutely. <laughs> got my vote. A little uncomfortable when you brought in your sister Lynette, but after that, winner. Yeah, uh, you know, really funny, and you should watch it on on YouTube or whatever because it's it's funny visually as well. Uh, I don't know if I would have advised this to Bob Quest, but uh, hey, makes for great radio. So thank you, Bob Quest. <laughs> All right, coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk uh, about how well you know your neighbors. Yeah, you're well. listening to Kane and Cobb, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. I'm Will Kane. I'm Essie Cup. You can find us on Twitter at Will Kane and at Essie Cup. Give us a call at 888-900-3393. We've had some fun this morning. Ask a black guy. Game of bros. I want to get a little serious now, Essie. Okay. Um, don't sound so excited. All right. You know, um, Ayan Harsi Ali. She is a lady who was born in Somalia, born a Muslim, underwent female genital mutilation. Not by her own choice, I imagine. No. As, for example, 90% of women in Egypt do undergo FGM. And sometimes I feel like that term even sanitizes what is a horrible process. Yep. Um, 
She fled, eventually Somalia, and went to Kenya. From Kenya, fled to Holland, basically, in her words, running away from Islam. Mm -hmm. She left Islam. She became an atheist. She was eventually elected to the Dutch parliament. After having been in Holland for something like a decade, I believe, she was behind a documentary on feminism and Islam, a documentary meant to expose in her purpose, in her estimation, Islam's inherent tension with feminism, its antagonism to women. Mm -hmm. The documentary's director is someone I think many of us have gotten to know, Theo Van Gogh. Mm -hmm. Theo Van Gogh was murdered in the streets, I believe, of Amsterdam. Yeah. Uh, his murderer, who did it in the name of Islam, killed Theo Van Gogh, stuck around long enough to write a note to Ayan Harsi Ali, warning her that she is next, stabbed the note into his victim. Ayan Harsi Ali eventually fled, fled, fled to the United States from there. She has been an outspoken critic of Islam for quite some time, and many would suggest she has made unfair statements, broad generalizations. She has said we're at war with Islam, we meaning the West. She has said that Islam is not a religion of peace. She cannot reconcile Islam and feminism. These are Ayan Harsi Ali's opinions, and whether or not you agree with them or not, whether or not she is overgeneralizing or not, to me is somewhat, not completely, but somewhat beside the point. Just last week, it was announced that Ayan Harsi Ali would be awarded an honorary degree at Waltham, Massachusetts Brandeis University. At their commencement ceremony on May 18th, she would be awarded this honorary degree. Yeah. A week passes, the degree is rescinded. Mm -hmm. An uproar by students at Brandeis University, a protest by CARE, the Council on Arab-Islamic Relations. Yeah, that sounds right. Protested her receiving this because of her statement she made in the past about Islam. Now, Essie, here's the thing that I wanted to present to you. And you and I talked about this yesterday when we were prepping for the show and said, you know, I, I mean, I don't honestly know completely how I want to present this debate mm. or how I want to present this dilemma. But I think Charles Cook, writing in National Review, presented a fascinating contradiction for any people who indulge in what's called the heckler's veto. The heckler's veto is something that we have incredibly indulged in the United States, oh, I feel yeah. like, over the last decade. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many people do you know that were set to go to a college campus and speak? And then students or the administration or professors uh, opposed it, and their invitation was rescinded. Absolutely. These bastions of free speech and tolerance and diversity, academic institutions, have very little tolerance. For intellectual diversity. We have raised offense to a higher virtue than freedom of expression. And you don't mean offense, like dividing a lawn. You mean offense. That's right. Right. If you are offended, mm -hmm. you have greater place in civil discourse than the person who has supposedly free speech. The heckler's veto. We saw it redeemed. We saw it awarded on, I think, the film Innocence of Muslims. Yeah. When it raised, supposedly, and I think inaccurately protests across the Muslim world, and then therefore from the President of the United States on down, we must condemn anyone who was, would offend a world religion. Nonsense. Christopher Hitchens wrote this, said this, and I think it's a, extremely accurate. The man who has an offensive point of view is the most important man in the room. Right. The flat earther becomes the most important man in the room because he forces the rest of us with our collective consensus mm -hmm. to re-examine our 
first principles. Yeah. And actually, I mean, I was I was reading up on this this week, too, and I was pleased to find in Huffington Post, of all places, a excoriation of Brandeis University for rescinding this. And this was written by a liberal guy who said this is a loss for liberalism when you silence speech this way. And he made the point that, uh, you know, as far as these, whether it's a commencement speech or an honorary degree, these are not entirely meaningful things in the long run, but that Brandeis folded, caved, essentially, says more, makes this issue more of a thing than had they just done this, ignored the student protests, stood on principle, said we like what this woman has had to say, not if wholly but in part, and we think she's courageous, and instead by silencing her and admitting defeat, It says more about their quote-unquote core values than rescinding the award does. And and he really considered it a blight on Brandeis for caving to this group of students. This from Charles Cook in National Review this week. The left's hierarchy of victims is a complex and contradictory thing, liable to yield all sorts of peculiar outcomes. Certainly, Ali has tended to side with a favored group, women, Mm. against a favored foe, religion. But in the process, she has made a mistake in criticizing another favored group, Islam, and Islam being customarily given a break because its adherents are generally poor and dark-skinned. That just won't do. That's Charles Cook writing in National Review. Well, I I love Charles, and he's very, very smart. I, I don't know that Islam in America is a favored group because they are poor and dark-skinned. I think they're a favored group because after 9-11— it became almost impossible to have honest conversations about Islam and Muslim Americans and radical extremism abroad without someone accusing you of conflating all of that. But what I found most fascinating in Charles's paragraph I just read is not the last sentence, but the first sentence. The left's hierarchy of victims is a complex and contradictory thing liable to yield all sorts of peculiar outcomes. I think it's fascinating that the heckler's veto seems to exist in the pocket of so many groups. And yet, when they come into competition, yeah. when there is essentially an award of whose heckler's veto yeah. will be recognized, in this case, Ayan Harsi Ali is certainly speaking out for feminism yep. and against Islam and its tension towards feminism. And who wins, right. And who won. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating. It is. Because we have awarded the heckler's veto so readily mm-hmm. So many times that now I don't uh, honestly understand when and how you get it and who and who is not awarded it. I told you yesterday, I would like to almost have this hierarchy laid mm-hmm. out. Is feminism subservient to Islam? Clearly in this case, yes. Is homosexuality subservient to Islam? Mm. Is Where does race come in? Mm-hmm. But I don't know because in the end, the hierarchy isn't a list. The hierarchy is a web of contradictions that only enable the mob, that only enable the person yelling loudest. Yeah, and I think it's a sliding scale, right? I mean, depending on time and place and the cultural moment and the zeitgeist, I'm sure that changes. Um, I, I'm I'm sure to you know oppressed groups competing for who gets the most protection changes depending on uh, the the issue of the day. I think maybe. Today, uh, you know, the gay rights advocates are probably among the more favored of of all groups right now. 
Certainly uh, that heckler's veto, that um, willingness to be offended. And you and I have had this debate. We're both gay marriage supporters, but we yep. have seen instances like the firing of Brendan Eich at Mozilla. Well, that's a perfect example. And said, this is not right. That is certainly winning out over religion. That's it's what I'm It's a different saying. religion than Islam. It's Christianity. But I think 10 years ago, maybe the gay rights advocate voice would not be as favored. They've maybe earned that position or they've um, been pretty vocal over the past decade or so and so um they're 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 winning that but certainly we saw with brendan ike uh the gay rights advocates came out against his representing a company because he donated money to support prop 8 and he was essentially bullied out of that position now as as you and i are both gay rights supporters that was incredibly offensive to us because it was once again of a heckler's veto and that kind of silencing is the opposite of democracy, the opposite of progress, the opposite of intellectualism. It's all of the sort of putrid, fetid stuff that existed before we supposedly evolved. And the ultimate victim to me and where I find my passion in this is that the ultimate victim is speech and perhaps thought. Thou shalt not speak and thou shalt not think outside of the consensus. The consensus being determined by the offended mob. Mm -hmm. There are no coherent rules we can lay out. There is no hierarchy that you can understand going into this. You shall not offend. How do I offend? We'll wait and see. Mm -hmm. We'll wait and see depending upon what the mob demands. Yeah. 888-900-3393. We welcome your opinion at Cup at Will Kane on Twitter. When we come back, as he's asked me several times this morning, she's asked you, how well do you know your neighbor? Mm. I think I know my neighbors well. No, you don't. Actually, I know that I don't. You don't. Let's talk about that on Kane and Cup <laughs> when we come back. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. What you were saying about people in the burbs are people like Skip, people who mow their lawn for the 800th time and then snap! Well, that's us! It's not them! That's us! We're the ones who are vaulting over the fences and peeking into people's windows! We're the ones who are throwing garbage in the street and lighting fires! We're the ones who are acting suspicious and paranoid eyes! We're the lunatics! Us! It's not them! Remember when Tom Hanks was funny? <laughs> <laughs> That's from the Burbs. I love that movie. Uh, so I'm uh, buying a house right now. Oh. And was walking around with my realtor over the weekend, uh, a couple weekends ago, and he was, you know, taking me around different neighborhoods. And he said, now this neighborhood, this is great because there's a real community feeling. And the neighbors all get out and they have like a block party over the summer every weekend and you know, they all they all know each other and they hang out. Mm. And I was like, I'm not even going in. <laughs> you don't want to live in that neighborhood. I knew that about you. You're a terrible person. I'm a terrible person. 
<laughs> I was like, take me to the next one. I now, knew where that was going. <laughs> you're turning me off. These are not, you're not upselling me here. You are, you are turning me off. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I've lived in a city for a really long time. And like the more you live in a city, the more, I don't know, uh, afraid of people you get. I don't know. I'm not really into getting to know my neighbors. Maybe if I have kids, that'll change. Because I'll want to know my neighbors. But right now, it's like, if you look at me, I'm calling the police. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I don't, I don't know smiles. Like, on a scale from one to five, five being uh, the friendliest guy in the world and one being just the most um, unfriendly, standoffish person in the world. Where, where are you? Where am I? Yeah, one to five. Oh, I'm at the top of unfriendly. You're one. I'm not mean to people, but I'm very cold. Uh, is, no eye contact. This is correct. Rarely smiles. <laughs> Look, I mean, part of this is just, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a young woman. Uh huh. As you know, I've got. As you know, some... all young women are unfriendly. No, no, no. <laughs> As you know, personally, I've gotten some weird, creepy. Mm-hmm. letters, people, you know, mm-hmm. have had to deal with that a little. So there's probably a little of that going on. But I read a story this week in the New York Daily News, and it made me think a little bit <laughs> about my neighbors. Now, this is not a funny story by any means. Okay, serious But face. it's, yeah, put on your serious face. But it is thought-provoking. Um, The skeletal remains Ooh. of two twin brothers, Andrew and Anthony Johnson, were found in their Chattanooga home. They were seated in an easy chair inside the home they shared for decades. They apparently died together at the same time. Police have found no uh, foul play, but they don't know if it was a suicide, a ghastly... I mean, they have absolutely no idea how these guys died. They were 63-year-old twins... And their neighbors said they didn't know them at all. They occasionally saw these two guys mowing their lawn wearing surgical masks. Officers found the twins decomposing bodies sitting in recliners in the living room. Uh, Here's the thing. uh, Here's the thing. They'd been there for three years. Oh, so many questions. Now, let me give you one question. No signs of trauma or foul play. Uh, There was some flesh still on the remains. uh, All right. Even I have limits. Let me tell you how weird this is. Although the Johnson brothers had stopped cutting their own grass, neighbors said it kept getting cut. No one has been able to say who maintained it. Oh, this is getting creepier. Twins dying in chairs and the grass keeps getting cut. It is. It's a bizarre story on a number of levels. It's a bizarre story. People are. But but the point is, and this, this Daily News story quoted a lot of quote unquote neighbors in the area who said, you know, occasionally I saw them. Uh, I didn't notice that they, were, they weren't coming out anymore because people don't really know their neighbors anymore. Hmm. And I think, I think that's probably a bad thing overall. Uh, certainly a bad thing when you think about, like, the, um, the Castro case in Cleveland where this just horrific, horrific crime is being perpetrated right next door and you have no idea about it. But I, I don't want to get too I don't want to get too sad and deep. I want I want to know how well people actually know their neighbors. I found um I found a website. Oh. It's called 
actionforhappiness.org. I think it's British because they spell neighbors O-U-R-S. Incorrectly. Well, British. Position of authority to speak on these things. And they offer tips on getting to know your neighbors. I'm going to read you one tip. I want you to listen to how psychotic this sounds. Alrighty. It sounds absolutely psychotic. Imagine if I did this to you. If you're new to an area, be sure to go around and introduce yourself to your neighbors. Tell them what brought you to the area and find out a bit about them and their lives. Now, let me play that out, Will. No, okay. Yeah, I'm new to the area. Mm-hmm. Hi, um, my name's Essie, and I'm new to your the name's area. What? Essie. <laughs> that would be immediate. What's your name? My name's Essie. Like Essie? Essie. S period, E period. <laughs> I'm new to the area, and what brought me here is I got a new job. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell me a bit about yourself and your life. Well, you made it so wooden. You did it so according to script. Will, that is not the problem with that. You did the it. problem is you're coming to my door yes, and introducing yourself. Okay, so you did it like I am someone... on the phone to 911 the second you, of course you are. say hello. <laughs> you did it like someone who is a number one on the unfriendly to friendly scale. Totally. Basically, the spirit of that tip is introduce yourself. Walk no, up. No. Make eye contact. Shake hands. Hey, man. How you doing? Just moved in the neighborhood. How are you? You I'm don't hear the, the difference. Yeah, you don't hear the difference between that and tell me what brought you to the neighborhood. <laughs> How are you? You don't hear the difference. And there's a difference. One guy's a serial killer. One guy you're going to have a beer and a barbecue with. Let me let me play this differently. Let me play this differently. Your wife is home alone. A guy comes up to the door and says, hi, just wanted to introduce myself. I'm new to the area. I got a new job. I'm wondering what's what's good around here. What kind of restaurants and bars are around here? You're telling me. You're telling me this is friendly neighborhood, nothing to worry about kind of. You know, you take interplay. over, uh, you take a pie. You take you take a dessert. You, 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 how you doing? You bring me food? I am definitely calling the cops. <laughs> <laughs> it's better if you don't knock on a door. If you see them in the driveway, you see them in the front yard. Hey, man, hey, hey, how you doing? How you doing? But uh, I don't think no. you see that nuance either. No, no, no. If you approach, I'm on the phone. It's bad. It's not. I'm not saying this is how I want to be, but I can't help it. All right. Uh, how well do you know your neighbors? Think about it. I bet not as well as you think. Coming up, we're going to talk about Good Samaritans. I bet you think you're a Good Samaritan. But are you? <laughs> no. Kane and Cup. This is Kane and Cup, part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. I'm going to capture this. Come on! Give me a wallet, don't you? Well, there goes the money for the lipo. <laughs> See, the great thing about robbing a fat guy is it's an easy getaway, you know? They can't really chase you. <laughs> it's actually doing them a favor. It's less money for them to buy food. <laughs> don't you want it? Come on! Come on, come on! Oh, that's a shame. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so good. I think the point of your clip, by the way, isn't has nothing to do with fat people. No. In that scene, right? They are standing idly by, commenting as someone gets robbed. Yeah, and so that was the Good Samaritan episode. It was the finale episode, not one of the better Seinfeld episodes, but still a classic. And it was called Good Samaritan because the four of them, as they are one to do, stand idly by, watching as someone else in pain uh, <laughs> just kind of goes through goes through those uh, those machinations, and they they are joking and laughing about it, and then they are prosecuted under Latham, Massachusetts rules for Good Samaritans. Um, Seinfeld can be used in any number of settings. Lessons for life. Lessons for life. Uh, I, I was wondering, though, I, I and I thought about this week because the guy who played the uh, robbing victim, John Panette, the actor in that clip, died this week. Oh. He died young. I think he was in his 50s. Um, he was a really funny guy, great actor, uh, and very memorable in that scene. So we want to uh, take a brief second to remember John Panette which we just did. But I want to talk more oh. <laughs> about Good Samaritans because I believe, I, I bet everyone believes they are Good Samaritans. And I don't think everyone is. I think your second statement is most certainly true. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is. I'm not sure everyone has deluded themselves into thinking that they are. Hmm. But you're probably right. They have over-indexed at least. Well, despite my how much I hate my neighbors, I think I'm a Good Samaritan. I'm a good person. Right, I've right. got a number of Moments racked up in my mind of when I've gone out of my way to help people. You're keeping score. Oh yeah. Yeah, you got a couple of. You got, moments got a in tally. Mind. Yeah, always a quality of a good person. I got, I got a tally. I got a tally. Hold on, right. I got a list right here in my back pocket. Remember how, when I of how good I am? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I want to put you to the test, Will. Oh me. Yeah, and this is for folks at home too, because these are real world scenarios that I'm going to give you, and be honest, be honest with what you would do. All right, hey, this. Listen. I want to be I, again, like you just said. I'm not the only one on the hot seat. I want, I want listeners with me. Oh, for sure, for sure. Think about how far you would go. Eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three or Twitter at Will Kane at Se Cup. Let's hashtag this. Kane and Cup. Would you pass Se's Good Samaritan test? That's a really long hashtag. Kane and Cup. Oh, what okay, that's fine. Hashtag oh, you Kane just every word after that. Yeah, you yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here's scenario number one. You're driving at night in a bad part of town. You see a guy beating up a homeless man. Do you get out of the car and stop him? The caveat is there are no weapons visible between these two gentlemen, and you have no weapon. That's uh, strictly a hands game. That's a good one, first of all. Because well, let me just stop you right there. They're all good ones. I made okay. them all up. They're all good. In that scorekeeping mode here. Um, unfriendly scorekeeper. <laughs> Everyone's favorite person to always have around. <laughs> um, they're all good. the 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 good thing about the the uh, the one you just gave me is that there's so many details that you gave me that Provided. I don't wouldn't necessarily have. Like, how do I know it's a homeless guy? And why did you make him somewhat helpless with the homeless yes. moniker? Because I would normally drive by and go. Those two dudes are fighting. None of my business. Right. Right. But, but that's why this is good because I've designed it in a way to answer some of those factors for you. Yes. A homeless man who cannot defend himself and you can tell that he's homeless is being beat up by another guy. The other key factor you gave is I was in a car. 
You're in a car. Which you is different than if I were walking away. down the street. Right. You can easily drive away and assume that this will get sorted out. I think I'm trying to be as honest as I can be. And you know I'm pretty honest. I own my mistakes, my mispronunciations, my flaws. I think I'd get out of the car. I think I'd stop wow. the car. Mm-hmm. I think I'd stop the fight. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's one for Will Kane. I can answer honestly, I would not. I believe that. It's diff- It's different for a woman. It's different. There's nothing I can do right. with my hands to get one guy off another guy. I might yell out the window. Stop that right now. Would you call 911? For sure. Okay. But have you ever called 911? I've called 911. Oh, I never have. It's a big hurdle. Oh, I'll tell you. I called 911 because I was fishing once. I was fishing once. My, my, I'm sorry. My, <laughs> my husband's laughing on the other side of the wall because he knows what I'm going to say. I was fishing once. Shaking his head no. I was fishing once. And I, walked, I was walking down to the river. Yes, you called. Okay. I found, I saw a plastic bag, and in this bag were bones. And I'm sorry, when you run across a bag of bones, you're calling the police. <laughs> what were they, squirrel bones? They were bigger than, um, like, chicken wing bones. Did they, the cops come? I didn't ever get a hold of the cops. It was a holiday. No <laughs> <laughs> But I made the effort. Okay, scenario number two. That poor squirrel. <laughs> Even if it was a dog, someone removed that dog, put it in a plastic bag, and dropped it in the woods. Okay. I'm sure that's a, some kind of citation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we, we decided that you would get out of the car. I would <laughs> yell out the window. <laughs> and think about calling 911. <laughs> I'd yell out the window. Unless they're on holiday. Okay. Scenario number two. You're late for a flight, racing through the airport. Out of the corner of your eye, you see a child crying. Where's my mommy? Do you stop or assume that because it's a crowded airport, someone else will? I wheel my head around a lot. I do the ear-to-ear looking. Is he legitimately missing his mommy or is she down the hall waving, baby, I'm here? There's no mom in sight. Yeah, I stop. You stop knowing you might miss your flight. Yeah. And then when another stranger comes over as well, I go, you got this? Because I got to come <laughs> You do a handoff. Right. It's a relay. Right. Pass the baton. Yeah. Okay. I Depending also, on how sketchy the stranger looks. I also stop. Yeah, the, the stranger could be worse. In which case, I wouldn't go on. I'd wait for the third stranger to come right, over. Right, right, right. I'm with you. I would also stop. Okay, scenario number three. You're driving home. You're tired. It's been a long work day. You see a woman trying to change a tire. Do you stop? Absolutely. Done. Easy. That one's easy. Let me alter this slightly. You see a man. Oh, she's not good looking? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, you see a man trying to change a tire. Yes. You stop. Yes. Come on. Yes. I mean, this one's not hypothetical. That's crazy. I lived in Texas all my life, up and down the roads. Your life is in a car. Yes. Have done it. Would done it. Will do it again. Would done it. You must have a death wish. I would uh, never stop on the side of the road. I, I mean, no. I mean, that just does not seem safe to me. Absolutely. Okay, so we got one yes for Will, one no for me. Okay, now these <laughs> next two are a little bit more personal. Okay? okay? Not involving strangers. That's what I mean. Scenario number four. Your friends 
sadly, die in a car accident. Unbeknownst to you, they've left you their children. Do you take them in? Does it depend on the friends and the kids? So I'm going to live out loud here on the radio. Yeah. And I'm going to tell people that you and I ran this one by each other yesterday. I did mention this one to you yesterday. And I was quick to fire on this one as well, saying, yes, I would take the children. And you said to me then, what if the kid's a brat? And I said, yeah. yeah. hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me put a finer point on it. What if those kids, a little older, had always picked on your kids? All right. And this is the honest answer. I'm a cocky parent. Meaning? I think I got this down. <laughs> <laughs> and when I see other parents and their children and I see the mistakes they're making, I think, give that kid to me for a weekend, I'll whip him into shape. Okay. So the brattiness doesn't necessarily scare me away okay. because the cockiness in me says I'll whip that kid into shape. And so thus the Good Samaritan wins. Okay, but okay, but before you celebrate how awesome you are, what do you do if your kids are like, we hate those kids, they're so mean to us? I don't care what my kids say. Oh, okay. Yeah, get over it. Stand up for yourself. Good Samaritan and, and loving dad. Okay. <laughs> uh, final one. A relative needs a kidney. You are the only match. Do you offer it? This one. Which relative? <laughs> it's a it's a second cousin. A second cousin needs a you kidney? You know this relative. Second's out there. But you're not, you know, it's not a brother. But you are the only one in the entire family lineage who's a match. All right. I'm going to give you my answer, and then I'm going to give you a little little caveat to all this in a minute. I think I would. You think you would? You wouldn't save that you for one of your own kids? You basically put me in a life or death situation. Her life is in your hand, dudes. Her life is in your hand, dude. Yeah. You don't get it. You're dude. the only one. That's Lebowski. You're, you're the only uh, one that can save this person, but yeah. you wouldn't save your organs for your kids? I've got two, and I don't know that my kids are going to need those kidney, one of those kidneys, and the, the person dies if I, don't, if I don't give my kidney. I think I would. Here's the caveat. I just passed the whole thing, and I know I'm not that good. <laughs> And so, pass the whole thing. <laughs> I know I overshot by a good twenty to thirty <laughs> percent. And I said I always stop for that guy with the flat tire. That's not true. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but I think I would in your hypothetical situation. <laughs> well, it's really easy to say yes when no one's actually asking. Right. <laughs> All right. I'm wondering how uh how our listeners did at home on that Good Samaritan test. We will be checking Twitter on at, at uh, hashtag Canaan Cup. Be honest. Yeah, be I tried honest. to be. I tried to be. I've been honest. I'm not always a good person. I've been honest today. Uh, all right. When we come back, got a couple other fun things to put in your brain. Stay tuned. Canaan Cup. Will Kane and Desi Cup will continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Kane and Cup. Adam, aka Solarion, at I am Solarion on Twitter says, What do you two think about having a Kane and Cup Facebook group for listeners to talk about the show outside of Twitter? Love it. Yes. These yes. conversations not only should, they must continue. <laughs> 
Are you a good Samaritan? How well do you know your neighbors? Ask a black guy. Game of bros. They're not done here. We need to keep this going. Whether or not we hashtag this Canaan Cup on Twitter or get this going on Facebook, the point of these conversations, and what I love, Essie, by the way, is there's two sides on most of these issues. Like oh, legitimate, sure. The debate is the fun part, not yeah. the conclusion. Yeah, we're going to set that up, Adam, a.k.a. Solarion. We will definitely set that up, and uh, next week we'll tell you where to go for that discussion group. I love it. Meanwhile, we're getting some really good tweets on um, how well do you know your neighbors. Joanna Rivera tweeted, if someone came to my door being all smiley and good-mannered, I would slam the door in his face. (laughs) (laughs) A woman after my own heart. Um, Nick Wilson apparently wasn't into my neighborly disposition. He said, Essie just convinced thousands that their assumptions about big cities are all true. Mm, Nick's correct. All true. It's just me, Nick. It's not, it's not every New Yorker. It's not every city dweller. It's just me. Uh, Pemberton Caulfield said, um, you know, answering the questions, would you get friendly with your neighbors? He said, it depends if they moved in with a van or with Mayflower. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's a good Really? It's a good rule It's a good rule It's a good rule No Mayflower I'm assuming you, the, the guy moving in with Mayflower You welcome the guy in his van? No? I'm uh, assuming No you welcome the Mayflower Yeah that's what I said Yeah you're a little sketchy about the guy Yeah In the van You're repeating what I said um, As for the Good Samaritan tests uh, Kendall Brian Hunter In reference to the You know Do you, do you stop when you see two guys fighting? Uh, you pull over with your car. He says, look, you always have a weapon. The tire iron, jack handle. I guess that's true. You can always fashion a weapon, especially if in your car. I see Zippy the Wonder Monkey on Twitter also said the same thing. He said, you have a weapon. The car. Hit him. Yeah, it's hard to hit someone with your car when you're outside the car. And they're tangled in a fight. How yeah. Do, how do you hit just the one guy? Yeah. yeah, and, and avoid the homeless guy. Right. Um, Elizabeth. Answered all of our scenario questions. Thank you, Elizabeth. She would definitely stop at the airport and get the kid some help. Um, she would also help a woman change her tire. She's a woman herself. She would also uh, take her friend's kids in, even if she didn't really want to. She said she'd retrain the brat. Yeah, so we're on the same page there. Yeah. And she would give away the kidney. Yes, scenario give the five. kidney. She's, She's a good, good Samaritan. Samaritan. Like me. Well, like you say you are. <laughs> like you say you are. Um, also, Don Larkin says, you stop for the kid in the airport because you're afraid the wrong person will stop instead. That's kind of like what you were saying. Right? Yeah. Right? That's exactly what I said. Yeah. Um, Joanna Rivera again says, I'd like to think I'd be a good Samaritan in my heart, but my brain says differently. It's true. I mean, you always think... Of course I would do that, but then when you're in that situation... Gotta be honest with yourself. It's a little harder. This has been fun. Thank you for hanging out with us this morning. Have a little coffee, shake off your hangover, hang out with Will and SE. Hashtag Kane and Cup. Keep the conversation going. We've loved hanging out with you. Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. See you next weekend. You're listening to Kane and Cup. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.